Well, good morning, everybody. And it's lovely once again to share with you in your homes. Uh, I know we're still in lockdown, but uh, we still have fellowship through God and His Holy Spirit. And it's great to be able to join together in both prayer, song, and also, of course, here in listening to God's Word. We've been following a series through, as you know, uh, looking at the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And they faced certain challenges, obviously. They faced persecution from outside. They, they faced error and um, frustration of, of false teaching and idolatry coming from the inside. But they then faced a combination of both collectively as churches, but also as individuals, challenges with immorality. And of course, as, as they continued to serve, some of them would be crying out, Lord, where is this going? When's it all going to stop? Sometimes we ask those questions ourselves. Well, we're going to finish the, uh, part, this part of the book of Revelation, having looked at the seven churches. We're going to just move one step forward, and then we'll be celebrating Advent over the next few weeks and come back to some of the chapters of Revelation back in the new year. But today, we move on to an interesting question. Who rules this world? Who's in charge? And after having looked at the challenges in the churches, John heard a knock on the door, as it were, which said, come up here, come and look. And so John describes how he was taken up, it says, and there was a door standing open into heaven. Now, of course, it's not quite clear where this heaven is. If I asked you to point to heaven, well, the usual trick, some would point up, many would, and Paul describes three layers of heavens that he was taken up into. Uh, others might just point to their heart and say, heaven is inside because Jesus is inside me. Others might point outside and say, well, Jesus and God is everywhere. And so wherever God is through us, his church, that's where heaven is taken. And all of those are perfectly true. But it says this, that after he looked and saw this door, the voice said, come up here, I will show you what must take place after this. After what? Well, it was about AD 95, 6 or somewhere around then, and uh, they were looking at the churches in Asia. But they didn't just mean after that first century Christian experience. What we're now going to look into and dip into is what lies beyond between Jesus' first coming and his return? And we call this the church age. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came across the church and then blessed them. And now we live in that age and we're still there. Where is it all going? Well, we're going to walk you around and we're going to have a little look at what John saw next when he visited heaven. And uh, I've tried to lay out a model of it beneath me here to help you and help us all to understand it. And I would strongly recommend, if you've got your Bibles, look at chapter 4 and chapter 5 as we walk through and we witness some of the things that John saw in a peculiar form. It's what we call apocalyptic form, where a lot of the images may not make sense, but they all have a meaning. Let me walk you around it. So John looked and he describes what he saw. He says he saw a throne in heaven 
with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, reflected light. You can't look God straight in the face. And so everything was carefully reflected. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Well, it just happens there's quite a few rainbows around at this time of year, as you know, uh, with the COVID situation. So we're going to put a rainbow in behind the chair. And this emerald and multicolored rainbow surrounded the throne. And then it says that surrounding this throne were also 24 other thrones. We haven't got space for 24, but with social distancing, you're going to have to imagine there are 24. We've got six here, and we've put them on this side and that side, surrounding the throne in a ring. And it says that those who were seated on them were elders, and they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold in their heads. And from this throne there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Who were these elders? 24 is 2 times 12. In the Old Testament, there were 12 tribes of Israel. They represent the church that was Israel, the Jews. The other 12 represent the 12 apostles, the New Testament church. And here we see that gathered together before the throne of God are his church, his people saved from both the Old and the New Testaments, brought together. And here they enjoy white robes, righteousness has given them, a crown of victory, the very things that were promised to several of those churches in the first chapters that we read about who were suffering persecution. It says in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. And here we have them. And it's described here as the seven spirits of God. And uh, the seven indicates a perfect number, that it's the perfect spirit of God. But it also indicates that they're distributed. The Holy Spirit is everywhere he goes out. He doesn't just stay in one. And it then says, also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. I've tried to represent that here with a, a mirror. But you get the effect. It, the word sea in the Old Testament actually referred to a laver, a bowl of water where the priests would wash away the sacrifices and they'd cleanse themselves. And so we have here a representation of the cleansing that's taken place before anyone needs to come to heaven. We here see the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. We see the Father, the Lord, sat on this throne and around him seated the elders, seated in judgment, seated after having fought the good fight, after having achieved the prize and the crown of glory. The uh, passage then goes on in uh, verses 6 and 7 to describe around the throne were four living creatures covered with eyes in front and behind. So if you can imagine creatures standing with their arms or wings out and several wings, they had six altogether. And uh, I'm going to represent those with uh, these music stands who were uh, outside, and they surrounded the throne closely. Who were these creatures? Well, one had a face of uh, a uh, man, another had a face of an ox, another had a face of a lion, and another of a uh, soaring eagle. And each of those faces represents strength of animals and the created world. 
And because there were four in total, one in front here as well, they represent the created world. And when Isaiah was in the temple, he said he saw seraphim surrounding God's throne. Ezekiel described cherubim in his vision that he saw, again, surrounding God's throne. These are seraphim, as they're called, and these are the ministering uh, agents of God to deliver His Word. And uh, these represent creation, as the word and figure four tends to do in Scripture. So here we have a scene with God at the heart of it, with the Holy Spirit, and with the church gathered. And that's what we see in this first part of the story here in chapter four. The four beasts uh, would then cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They encapsulated the very heart of what God's presence is like. He is pure. He is holy. There is no sin here. There's no imperfection. He is separate from all this world and from sin, but yet he has created it. It says he's the Lord God Almighty. Almighty, actually in Latin, is the word omnipotent. That means all-powerful one. And he was and is and is to come. He is from the past, the present, the future. He is eternal, every time, everywhere. Omnipotent, omnipresent, all time, everywhere. And he's the one who knows all. He's what we call omniscient. The characteristics of God knows everything, is all-powerful, and is everywhere. And he is the one that was praised. And as soon as he, uh, the uh, beasts, uh, the, the, the cherubim started praising God in this manner, the elders got up out of their seats, and they fell prostrate on the ground before God. They then uh, uh, took their crowns off and presented them and worshipped God. Three things that they, they achieved. They recognized that they needed to be based before him. Repentance is where we all start. They recognized that, uh, that they must worship and serve God. They recognized, thirdly, that, uh, that they, they must indeed uh, recognize and understand that they had crowns that were given by God of victory, those crowns they presented at God's feet because only he had achieved that victory. There's a real picture of the Christian life in that. And when they laid those crowns down, they said these words, you are worthy. We get the word worship from the word worthy. Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created all things, and for your pleasure they were created. You are worthy, O Lord. God is indeed worthy. He is our creator. This universe, this amazing world, all was made by him. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't banging together of atoms some millions of years and billions ago. It was God's perfect hand at work. And here, the creatures of God recognize that he has created. He owes our allegiance to him. He owns us every part, and we should be worshiping him, serving him. And we should recognize that all the great things he's given us belong and cast them at his feet 
so that we might be used in his service. And that's the message of chapter 4. But before I go on, you've already noticed, I hope, there's somebody missing here who's very important. Chapter 5 is about that. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, a scroll, with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. We'd better put that on the right hand of the one on the throne. So we're all anxious to find out what's inside it. But what is inside it? Well, actually, the question is, what is God's plan for the church? If John has been called up here and told that he's going to be told what lies ahead, then he's most anxious to find out what's in that. But nobody can open it. And he starts weeping and weeping because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside. But one of the elders jumped up and said, don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Hooray! We need a lion. I'm afraid this is the best I can do. So we got a lion. And, um, but hold on. The lion of the tribe of Judah is a title that was given of King David. It means the anointed ruler of Israel. But then it's calling him here the root of David. In other words, long before David was even thought of, the lion existed from eternity before. This is someone very important. So John turned round and he saw a lion. No, he didn't. It says here he saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. You're, it's, it's apocalyptic. You're going to have to use your imagination. Rub behind your ears and you'll, you'll find the imagination polish. But let us place the lamb, who actually is the lion of Judah and the root of David, beside the throne. In fact, it says he's standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the elders and the living creatures. And it says that this lamb had seven horns and seven eyes. Let me explain something about apocalyptic literature. The visions you see, Spielberg could never create because they're deliberately unrealistic. They don't work. You can't have a ram's head with seven horns and room for seven eyes. And then it's also a lion. But this is deliberate because, you see, these were the days before lots and lots of Spielberg pictures, as I mentioned, and the kind of realism that CGI brings. These were churches where the Word of God was read out to them, and in their mind's eye, they imagined it and applied it. And the application here is quite clear. Seven horns, seven the perfect number, the horn, the symbol of power and strength. This is no little weak, timid lamb. This is the mightiest and most powerful lamb, a lion heart. Seven eyes, again, the perfect number, and the same, the seven spirits, all seeing, 
He knows the inside of the church backwards. He knows every individual. He knows the wickedness of the evil people in this world. This lamb is fully conversant with what this world stands for, and he has been slain. He has suffered on the cross for sin. This is, of course, the picture that is given here of Jesus in this. Suddenly, we have got all three persons of the Trinity together, the Father in glorious light, the Son, the image of the slain but risen Lamb, and the Holy Spirit, the light shining in everyone's hearts who have come to know Jesus. This is a powerful image. And it says that when the Lamb took the scroll from the right hand of Him who sat in the throne, the four living creatures and the 24 elders around fell down before the Lamb. And each had a harp or a guitar in modern parlance, and they had golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. In the temple, the bowl of incense, an altar of incense, the bowl of incense was poured out, and the smell went everywhere. And the saints' prayers do just that before the throne of grace. Our prayers don't go unheard or unhindered. They are the smell of incense in the, in the, uh, in the presence of God Himself. And so we need to be encouraged in prayer through this. And the song they sang, and this one actually says they sang it as opposed to read it or stated it, says this, you are worthy, that is Jesus, the Lamb is worthy, to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. He died for our sins. He was slain. He suffered on the cross. Christ Jesus became our sin bearer and took our sin. Here he is in the very heart of the presence of God Almighty. It says that with your blood, you purchased a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nations, represented here by the 12 elders on each side, the 24 surrounding the throne. We are here. We are represented through them. And Jesus has purchased us. The authorized version uses the word, He has redeemed us. He's bought us back from sin and the pleasures and the wickedness that have destroyed this planet. And He has died for us. He is our Savior, therefore, and is bringing a people Every nation is a fully multicolored array inside here, not just the rainbow, but every nation, every people, every family is represented, those who have come to find Jesus for themselves. And it says, thirdly, that you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. He is the king, our sovereign. Jesus, in this, is represented as our sin-bearer, our Savior to take us through life to the end, and our Sovereign to rule and guide and direct us. Are you getting the image here? I hope you really are, because this is something that involves us living on this planet today, because this is showing us God's plan, how we should live until the eternity draws and He brings us into the heart of His presence. In Ephesians, it says that God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not just this present age, but also in the one to come. Do you see the picture here? 
that Jesus sits at the right hand of God Almighty, having conquered, delivered, and bought us from sin. Now, if the camera widens very slightly, uh, I'll uh, try and take you over this direction a bit. I hope it maybe follows me. It might not. But you should see, um, and again, we're we're being socially distanced here. Um, You should see a row of tins on that, uh, which is actually a whole circle that goes the entire way around and comes back here. These represent the next group of people who are watching the action in this scene. It says in verse 11, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels. And we don't know, millions upon millions, thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the Lamb. The last chapter ended with these words, you are worthy, our Lord and God, sitting on the throne. But now the same praise and honor goes to Jesus, worthy is the Lamb. Do not for one minute doubt, Jesus is God, the Son of God, fully God, and one in three, and three in one. And he is worthy, it says, to receive power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and praise. Seven blessings that Jesus is worthy to receive because he has brought this wonderful salvation to us and into this planet. Now, I haven't any more room and I haven't any more tins, otherwise we'll have nothing left to give to the, uh, the, the people that Sparrow is distributing them to. But it says here that actually surrounding this glorious holy meeting, all the way, if you imagine, around the wall and beyond, was a mighty uncountable number. It was every creature in heaven and on earth, under the earth, that is the dead, and on the sea, and in the sea, that is more dead. And if you were to look round that crowd, you would see faces that you may well recognize. The murderers, the dictators, the persecutors of the church, the violent, the clever people that dream theories that get God out of the universe in their heads, and that deny that he was the creator, the friend, the redeemer, and the owner of this universe. They're all there. Yes, Hitler's there, Mussolini, Stalin, and whoever we've got of the modern era of the ISIS or whoever have persecuted the Christian church and have upset and have sinned against God and have not acknowledged who Jesus is. And what are they doing? They're saying these words. This is amazing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise, honor, glory and power forever and ever. They, this wicked world, every human, every creature who's ever existed is brought in to view this scene and be judged. And there is no second chance for them because they have persecuted and fought against Christ and have refused His glorious and free offer of salvation. They're all there. What does it say in Philippians? At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue, whether they want it or not, 
whether they had ever thought they might or refused to, every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is an amazing truth that this world will give account before God. But seated, not standing, and not cowering in the corner will be those who are of His church. So who rules? God rules. God is still on the throne as King, and He will remember His own. Though trials may press us and burdens distress us, He never will leave us alone. God is still in the throne. His promise is true. He will not forget you. God is still in the throne. He rules, and everything that goes on in this planet, He understands and owns. He is in charge. You may think, well, why can't we get into church? Why are we all suffering? What's, what's happening? This virus is just one of many things that are predicted in that scroll. They're all were told they were going to happen. The wars that are taking place, the persecution of believers, the sickness and suffering, the tidal waves and tsunamis, the earthquakes, they're all in that scroll. They were all predicted because God will not leave the world alone he will keep tapping on the door of their hearts to see, are they listening? Listen, there is a judgment. He is in charge. But secondly, God is working through His plan. It's His plan. It says that Jesus uh, was um, slain before the foundation of the world. Way back then, God had planned how He would redeem this world and that we would be included. What a great hope for the believer. What a great challenge for those outside. What a great challenge for us to make sure that others hear it. And the third thing is this. The center of this is Jesus. Christ fulfills every detail of God's plan, of His Word, of His holy, precious Word, and of the fact that life is no accident. The plan He passed on to this church is go into all the world and preach the gospel he said, make disciples. We are to share this good news. If we don't share it, nobody out there is going to hear and join us in this heavenly uh, uh, throne room. We need to be on with that. We need to complete the plan because Jesus intends in completing it through us. The last thing that happened in that scene is that the elders bowed down and worshipped and the four living creatures said, Amen. <laughs>